Around 2.45 in the morning on March 13, 1964, Kitty Genovese was headed home from work. She parked her car in the parking lot across the street from her apartment and was getting out to walk the 100 feet to her apartment door. But she never made it into her apartment. As she got out of her vehicle, a man began to chase after her and ran her down and stabbed her in the back. After he stabbed her the first time, she cried out, Oh my goodness, he stabbed me. He stabbed me. Somebody help me. And then he stabbed her again. And then someone who lived in the apartment complex opened up his window and said, Hey buddy, leave her alone. And the man took off. The attacker ran, got in his car, and drove away. Kitty gathered up all of the strength that she had left, stood up, walked around the corner of the building uh, out of sight, and lay down in critical condition. She was trying to scream as loud as she could with the energy that she had left, but no one came. Ten minutes later, the attacker came back and stabbed her a few more times. She continued to scream, and finally, someone called 911 which the police officers just happened to be in the neighborhood and were the whole time and were there in less than two minutes after the phone call was made. But by the time they got there, it was too late. Kitty died. The story makes you stop and think, what is wrong with people? It makes you want to yell out to that guy in the window, hey buddy, what's wrong with you? Why didn't you come down and help? All you could do was yell from your apartment window as a woman was being stabbed? But he wasn't the only one. Numbers vary, but supposedly up to 38 people heard Kitty's screams that night. And only one person wanted to get involved. And it wasn't even that brave. All they did was call 911 from the safety of their home. It makes you shake your head and think, what is wrong with people? How can people be so self-involved and so self-absorbed in their own little world to not love others? Especially when they're being attacked. We are in the series called Generous George. And as I said at the beginning of the service, the, the big idea of this whole series is that generosity isn't natural for us. Generosity doesn't come naturally. It's not something that's easy for us. And that's because we are sinful. What sin has done is make us selfish. We become self-involved and self-absorbed. That's kind of our natural default. And so today, let's relearn what it means to love others and be generous. And to do so, we're going to look at a story that Jesus told. It's essentially the first century story of Kitty Genovese. And it's, it could be a modern news story today, found in newspapers. You have everything you could ever want in a news story. Uh, you've got a crime, you've got violence, you've got racism, you've got hatred, all wrapped up in this story that Jesus tells this morning. 
And so let's learn about generosity and what it means to love others. And our first point, if you're following along in your worship folder and taking notes, is this. Don't count the reward. When it comes to being generous, don't count the reward. So here is what happened. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The man asks the question that we all want to know, right? How do we get to heaven? He's an expert in the law. He knows Moses' books, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He knows those books forward and backwards. He's an expert in them. And so Jesus says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? In other words, what does the law say? And the man says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus says, what, what does the law say? And the man answers, I need to love God with all my heart, soul, and strength, and mind, and love my neighbor as myself. And Jesus says, yes, you've got it. You've nailed it. The two were, Jesus and this man were talking the same language, and yet they had different approaches, didn't they? Jesus was saying, what does the law say? And when the man repeats this, what does Jesus want him to realize? I can't do that. I can't love God perfectly. I can't love my neighbor perfectly because I'm sinful. In other words, what does the law do? It shows me my sin. It shows us our sin. It shows us how we have not lived up to God's perfect expectation and that we need a Savior. That's what Jesus wanted this man to find out and to come to realize. And yet, what did the man... How did the man take it? He says, this is what I have to do to gain my reward. I'm going to be generous, not because uh, God has been generous to me. I'm going to be generous because that's what God requires of me to get my reward. Eternal life can be had if I just love others and love God. That's my reward for being generous. Don't count the reward. And yet we do that all the time, don't we? It's almost natural for us to do it, to count the reward. For instance, my neighbor asks me to help him with some yard work. And before I I just say yes, I I calculate the reward. What's the reward? Oh, hey, guess what I have? I'm going to work on my deck in two weeks, and I'm going to need some help. It would be great if my neighbor helped me. So I'll help him with his yard work and then cash in later and ask him to help me. That's counting the reward. Anne asks me to do the laundry. Out of all of the household chores that need to be done, I despise doing laundry. I'd rather do anything else. And yet she asks me to do it. And so I do it, and I think to myself, I'm going to cash in on this later. I'm going to have her do something that I don't want to do, and that's counting the reward. At school, 
the teachers are having a Saturday event and they're asking for volunteers from the parents and you think, well, I have to give up my Saturday, but it'll look really good to the rest of the people that I'm an involved parent. Counting the rewards almost comes natural to us, doesn't it? And yet Jesus says, just love. Just show compassion. Just volunteer. Just be generous. Why? Because God has been so generous to us. In other words, love with no strings attached. Whereas this man was loving with strings attached because he thought he was earning heaven. Don't count the reward. Love to love. But generosity also doesn't count the risk. So Jesus says, the the man tries to justify himself by saying, who is my neighbor? Because that's what all sinners do, right? When we know God's bar is up here, and we know we can't exactly reach it, we try to justify ourselves and bring the law down just a little bit more so that we can actually accomplish it. And yet here's what Jesus says. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. The road from Jerusalem down to Jericho was notorious for being dangerous. It was notorious for for having robbers and thieves just like this who were waiting to attack people because the road itself was pretty windy and there were a lot of places along the way to hide out so you could ambush people and they didn't see it coming. And that's what happened to this man. Jesus says he's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and some robbers attacked him, beat him, stripped him, and left him dead. And two men come walking by. And both men counted the risk. Just like the the people who heard the cries of Kitty Genovese, they didn't want to get involved. It, It was a little too messy for them. The risk was too high. The first one, it's almost absurd, because the first one's a a priest, a pastor. The one who's supposed to represent God to the people to represent God's love to the people. He comes walking by and he sees the man and he passes by on the left side. You can almost hear his thoughts. Oh boy, this is messy. This is not good. If I stop and help this man out, those robbers that attacked him could still be hanging out here and I now put myself at risk. Not to mention because of the ceremonial laws that their religion had, if the man happened to be dead and he touched the man... Well, now he, the, the priest wouldn't be allowed in the temple for a week because he was ceremonially unclean. He'd have to go through the rituals that they had to do. This was risky business to stop and help this man. And so instead of being generous with his love, he counted the risk, and the risk was too high. He passed by on the other side. Then a Levite came by. Uh, a Levite wasn't a priest, but they were assistants to the priest. So they, they were kind of like the congregational lay leaders. He comes walking by and he sees the robber that, or the, the uh, man laying there. And he too count the risk and said, too high for me, pass by on the other side. Too self-involved, 
too self-absorbed to show love. And yet we do this thing all the time, don't we? This same selfishness is inside of us too. Think about it. You're driving down 183 or 29 and you see up ahead the car with the flashers on and uh, the hood up. And what are your initial thoughts? We begin to count the risk, don't we? Oh, I've seen, I've seen enough news stories to know this. Uh, I've, I've seen how the Good Samaritan stops to help out and then gets robbed from those people. It's an ambush. Or if they don't just rob me, maybe they'll kill me. The risk is too high. Plus, it's a busy road. If I pull over here and I have to change a tire, I could get hit by a car. My schedule, I'm pretty busy and I'm already running late. The risk of being later to other things just goes up. It's too high. I'm just going to get in the left lane and pass by. Earlier this week, I was coming over here actually to work on my sermon. And uh, as I was leaving my house, I heard the lady down the road trying to start her car. It was clear that it was a dead battery. All, all you hear is click, 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 click. Click, 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 click. And so as I'm walking to my car, without even thinking, I naturally began to count the, cost, or count the risks. Well, she doesn't see you coming, Stephen. This could be an awkward uh, opening conversation here. You could scare her. Not to mention, what if it's not just a dead battery? You don't know cars. You could end up looking like an idiot. Or what if it is just a dead battery and you can't figure out how to jump the car? Now you look like even a bigger idiot. You're, you're a man approaching a woman on a quiet subdivision street. No one else is around. What are the risks? Those thoughts just jumped into my head naturally without even thinking about it. Why? Because that's what sin does. It makes us naturally selfish. Now, I did end up stopping, and it was a dead battery, but she didn't have a long enough jumper cable to get to my battery the way she was parked. So her husband had to come home who had the longer jumper cables, and they got it jumped. But do you see what my point? Sin naturally makes us self-involved and self-absorbed. And here's the other dirty trick that sin does. It makes us so selfish that we look at the priest and the Levite and we say, man, are they selfish. Man. And we judge them, don't we? And yet, it blinds us to just how selfish we actually are as well. That's the dirty trick that sin does to us. Don't count the reward. Don't count the risk in generosity. And we also learn that generosity doesn't count the sacrifice. We've seen two men pass by. Here's the third. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. This was the part of the story where the lawyer, his jaw would have hit the floor. A Samaritan? He was the one who was generous? You want to talk about hatred and racism, here it is. Samaritans and Jews hated each other. 
with extreme racism. Samaritans were originally Jewish people who then married outside the Jewish nation back in the 700 B.C. During that time, they married uh, people from Assyria, the nation of the Assyrians. And when they intermingled, the the Jewish people then considered them Samaritans and called them half-breeds. You want to talk about racism? You know the other thing they call them? Dogs. And it wasn't a, you know, a little puppy that's so cute. No, it was a derogatory term to call the Samaritans dogs. They believed the Samaritans were outside of God's favor and grace and could never in a million years inherit eternal life. Heaven was not an option for them because they were too horrible of people. And the feeling was mutual. That's how the Samaritans felt as well. If you kind of picture the geography of Israel, you've got the Holy Land, and you, you had in the south were Jewish people down by Jerusalem. In the north by the Sea of Galilee were Jewish people. Samaritans occupied the territory between those two areas. A Jew, to get from the south to the north, instead of making the direct shot, would double his trip to go out and around just so that he didn't have to go through Samaria where those nasty dogs of Samaritans lived. That's racism at its finest. And Jesus says, a Samaritan passed by. And he didn't count the sacrifice. He saw the man and he took pity on him and he had compassion for this Jewish man who was beaten and robbed. You see what the good Samaritan did? was he flipped the question. It wasn't, who is my neighbor? Instead, he said, who can I be a neighbor to? And he took the things that he had with him on his trip and he used them to heal the man. Who knows how much he had? Maybe he wouldn't have enough supplies for himself to make his trip, but he didn't count the sacrifice. He poured on his own oil, his own wine to heal the wounds. He put him on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and healed him. And he didn't count the sacrifice. And he also didn't count the cost. Jesus continued with the story and said, The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Jesus said, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Wouldn't even call him the Samaritan. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. A a denarius was worth one day pay. So the man gave the innkeeper two days worth of pay to look after this man who was beaten. And he said, if any expenses go above and beyond what I have given you, when I come back through, I will reimburse you. I will pay everything that needs to be paid. And the amazing thing is, this Jewish man had nothing to offer the Samaritan. In fact, the Samaritan would probably never see this Jewish man ever again. Think about it. By the time he comes back through, that Jewish man is going to be healed and gone. And maybe not have any clue that the Samaritan even was the one who helped him. And yet the Samaritan put all that racism, all that hatred, all those prejudices and stereotypes aside and generously showed love. And he didn't count the cost. 
How in the world do we have a heart like that? How could we possibly have a heart that shows that kind of love? It's, it, it might be easy for people that we like, but what about showing that kind of love to someone who is completely uh, racist against us? Someone who is completely prejudiced, stereotyping us? How do we have a heart to help those people who hate us? It's only by the gospel, isn't it? It's only by the good news of what Jesus has done for us that can change a heart that is self-absorbed, self-involved, and selfish to a heart that has compassion and love. It's knowing, believing, and receiving Jesus' love and compassion that changes our hearts to love and compassion as well. You can't help but hear the story of the Good Samaritan and not think of Jesus, can you? Jesus, the Great Samaritan, saw us as we were spiritually wounded. Selfishness had its way with us, beat us down until we were there. Satan had his way with us until we lay on the side, left for dead. And Jesus looked down, And he saw what we were in, the state we were in. He saw we had nothing to offer him. He saw we couldn't possibly ever make it up to him. And he didn't care. He had love and compassion for us. And he came to this earth to heal our wounds. And he didn't heal our wounds with oil or wine. He healed it with his holy, precious blood. We're told in Isaiah that it's by his wounds that our wounds are healed. When Jesus died on the cross, He washed our sins away, healed our wounds, and presented us whole once again before God. How do we show this kind of love? It's only by being in the Gospel, by having the Gospel fill our hearts. Are we going to be perfect at it? Absolutely not. As long as we're here on earth, we're sinful. Selfishness is going to be a part of us. And so that's why it's so important to be in God's Word every day, to be in that Gospel message where we hear about our Savior who's healed our wounds, who has made us whole again, and continues to present us perfect before our Father. It's His love, His compassion, that fills our hearts so that we naturally show love and compassion to others. Amen. Please stand. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you for your generosity in coming and and saving us from our sins and healing our wounds. We ask that you send us out with your love and compassion, filling our hearts that we may love and serve others. Amen.